Well, hello, friends, and welcome to The Messy Table. If this is your first time here, know that this is an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and most of all, the God who's at work in our mess. And if you're not new, you already know that, and we are super glad you're back. You know, taking our usual summer break from the podcast is always bittersweet because we've missed this, missed these conversations, and missed you those who join us from Oklahoma to Florida to Australia to Thailand and all over. But it's also good to slow down for a bit, take a break, and now we're excited to be back. So if we haven't yet had the chance to meet, my name is Jen Jewell, and I have the honor of hosting this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast. And today I have a friend and co-host back with me, the lovely Cindy Beal. And y'all, The Messy Table is partnered with the women of our church, Life Church, where we are also huge fans of the YouVersion Bible app. God's Word, literally in our back pockets, for free, translated into hundreds and thousands of languages. And we love locking arms with women from all over who are willing to share a piece of their life. So know that wherever you're coming from, whatever your story, we are genuinely glad you're here. And before we kick off today's episode, we'd love to have a quick family meeting, a quick announcement. Wanted to let you know that moving forward, basically from now around Labor Day in September to Memorial Day in May, we will be releasing a new episode, a new powerful story on the first Tuesday of every month. So instead of every other week, we're going to scale back just a bit in frequency to the beginning of every month. So that's what's coming. That's what to expect. And if you're one of the ones who's told us that you recently found The Messy Table and are binge listening the past 140-something episodes, you have plenty of time to catch up. And the rest of us still have plenty to look forward to. So now, get ready to hear from a strong, faith-filled woman who has survived some mess, who's persevered through some really tough things. And you know what? She's actually better than okay, which might be the title of her brand new book. Brandy Wilson is a boy mama, football mama, single mama of three, who's planted churches, written books, co-founded a nonprofit called Leading and Loving It, and also works as a certified coach. In other words, she leverages what she's learned to help others get unstuck, find clarity, and move forward. Yes, even when life has been flipped upside down. This episode is full of empathy and wisdom and grace. And so grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join Cindy and me for a chat with Brandy. Well, Cindy Beal is back with us, and together we get to chat with the fabulous Brandy Wilson. So and so, excited. Brandy, welcome to the messy table. Hi, I'm so happy to be with you guys today. Yay. Oh my gosh, you guys don't even know the goodness in this podcast that is before you. Like, <laughs> but we're ready. We're Man, ready. Just buckle up. Buckle up. Buckle up. I think that's what I want to say right now, <laughs> um, Brandy. I I know we met before the very first Leading and Loving It retreat. So before anybody really met, we were becoming friends on Twitter, I think is what it was. We were. So I feel yes. like it was maybe 2009 <laughs> or 2010, maybe. Yeah, so we've known each other right. a lot of years. Yeah, Leading and Loving It is officially 15. <gasps> wow. Okay, so then it was even longer. That would be Then we've been that. friends for like 2008, for a long time. maybe. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We were like, 12 when we met Cindy. <laughs> we were, yeah, 13, 12, 13, something like that. That's exactly right. I love that I get to serve with Brandy and Lori and the rest of the team with Leading and Loving It. And so it was, it was a fun season of life. We loved having you. You are dearly missed. For those listening who don't know what it is, what is Leading and Loving It? Yes. Leading and Loving It is a nonprofit organization that exists to help women thrive in ministry so that they can lead and love it um, and just really step into the God-planted purpose of their heart. Isn't that awesome? And the fun thing is, I think that I've probably followed you since it started and, you know, read the books and followed all the conferences and all the things. So I've been able to really glean from your ministry and that effort. So I'm super grateful. Thank you. Well, I think, you know, it all started when our kids were small and we, you know, blogs are not what they used to be, but mm-hmm. I was just a mommy blogger trying to remember all of the stories about a messy table and three boys within five year period. Um, so yeah, I love the name of this podcast and love what you guys are doing in order to keep women connected and enjoying their life. Yeah, I remember reading your blog. I think it was Brandy and Boys. Brandy and Boys. Yeah. Yeah. Back then. And um, that's that was the thing. You know, we just all read each other's blogs. So that was fun. (laughs) Back in the olden days, we read each other's blogs. Back in the 
the early days. <laughs> the early days. I like that better for sure. Okay. So enough chatting, enough chit-chatting, but Brandy, tell everyone just a little bit about you, who you are, the people you love, all that yeah, stuff. My name is Brandy Wilson. I live in Franklin, Tennessee, which is right outside of Nashville. I have been in this area for 21 years, 22 years, actually. Gosh, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> um, and I am a single mom to three sons. They are 22, 19, and 17. Mm. And I am a football mom. All three of my boys play football. <laughs> so uh, my oldest plays at Birmingham Southern. My middle is heading to Rhodes, and he will play football there. Then my youngest plays every Friday night. So yeah. I am like, what they say, classy until kickoff. Um, <laughs> classy until kickoff. That is That's, so you. Oh that is my gosh! So me, right? I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> well, you can. I'm, I borrowed it from somewhere. I'm sure, but yeah, I am the loud and proud football mom who you know has the cowbell, and <sighs> I usually typically don't pull cowbell out until senior year. Right. But I don't know. I only have two high school football seasons left with my youngest son, so I might have to use it. Take advantage of the time. Yeah. You might have to. I mean, I ring it so loud, y'all. I got I had tennis elbow last Ten- year. Tennis elbow. Yeah. Yes. During <laughs> this the is season. amazing. Oh my uh, gosh. Well, and you know, Brandy, I think that as you were passionate in the stands is what I would say probably is the truth. Like, I think as long as you throw a little darling or sugar on the back of it, it just softens it. it. Like, whatever you want to yell. She can say whatever she wants uh, with the accent. Yeah, bless his heart. Bless his heart. Yeah, darling, that was a terrible call, you know, something like that. That's awesome. Uh, hey, I maybe apologized to a ref in basketball because of um, some yelling. And so, you know, it happens to the best of us. It just does. It happens to the best of us. Yes. <laughs> so you guys are actually both boy moms of three, which yes. alone deserves all the respect, all of my respect for sure. Thank um, you. But you've also pretty much survived the teenage years. I know you're still kind of in it. You're, yeah. you know, some young adults, some teens. And so I would love to hear just any tips you've got on parenting boys, parenting teens, whatever you've learned that might help those like me coming after y'all. Yeah, I think one of the biggest surprises for me is how much I enjoyed like that middle school phase. I think I had been scared of middle school boys since I was a middle school Mm -hmm. girl. Um, And knowing I had these cute, you know, sweet, preschool, toddler, elementary school boys that were one day going to be in middle school. I I was terrified of that for a little bit. And I actually super enjoyed it because their sense of humor started developing. Yeah. And, you know, they were maturing. So conversation was switching. And um, it was more than like, do you want goldfish or fruit roll up? Mm -hmm. It was more in depth conversation. And it was being able to make you know, little side comments and they laugh at it. So I was super surprised that the middle school years were so enjoyable, but I really love parenting older children. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know about you. Yeah. You're not just wiping things and people. No. There's more than that. Right. Yeah. I think the thing I would say is I do enjoy having adult children. It is super rewarding, but I would say that um, just remember that A lot of moms may be listening who might feel like they're sad because they're coming up on some end of the season of maybe they're about to be an empty nester. I know, Brandy, you will be soon. But like, I would just say, just remember that the time that they're in your home is actually less than the time that you'll have with them as adult children. And if you coach and train and send them off well to be these very, you know, independent adults, you will have great relationships with them as adult children and they'll become friends. And it's cool. I know you you feel that too, Brandy. Oh, I totally feel that way. I so enjoy my oldest son is 22. And I would say we are probably closer now than we were when he lived at home. Mm. And I didn't foresee that him being the first one that went to college. And I have a close relationship with all three of my boys. Um, But you know, as moms of boys, I don't know if this was said to you, Cindy, but I have heard so many times, well, they leave and they never come back because they end up getting married and then the girl's family steals them Mm. and steals them in a loving way. Um, way. So I think in my head, it's like, they're going to college. I'll never see them again. Right. 
And even that first year, I remember, well, Jet's senior year saying like, this is your last Christmas at home. And he was like, where do you think I'm going? I'm, <laughs> I'm still coming home every Christmas. That's right. sweet. And it has been like, as he's been out on his own, there's this appreciation of what it's like to be at home and the home that we all four had together when we were living under one roof. And they're all home for the summer currently, which is awesome to have them here. Um, but yeah, it's really neat to have adult children that we can have conversation about life changing mm-hmm. events and yeah. lean into honesty and the faith and, you know, different viewpoints. And to know that because we dealt with a lot of hard things when they lived under my roof, that, that I can trust that they are capable of dealing with hard things on their own. That's good. As they're launched into the world. Silver lining for sure. Yeah. And I was. I'd say for those moms listening who have boys, um, just remember, um, look at their future wives as just a, an addition to your family. Love her, sure. encourage her, treat her good. Make sure that she knows that you know she is priority over you. And yep. there's a lot of boy moms who have a hard time with this. Mm-hmm. And so I would just encourage all of us um, to just remember that we get them for a while in our home, but then it's time for them to spread their wings and, and build their own family and for them to do the things that they saw you doing. Right. So, right. Um, yeah. So don't be threatened. Just love, love, love. Well, you hit the jackpot love, love, with love. Ella. I mean, come on. Oh, my gosh. I Your daughter-in-law is amazing. My daughter-in-law of the century is my daughter-in-law, Ella. <laughs> I love you, Ella. I'm sure she's listening. So. That's amazing. I love it. Well, I have a 14-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son who is just kind of kicking off his football adventure. So I'm learning (laughs) from both of you. (laughs) So fun. It really is so fun. All right, Brandy. Well, you kind of alluded to it, but we know that you have been through some mess just as we all have, but yours is distinct and unique to you. And so if you would, we would just love for you to share some of your story in as many or as little details as you're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, I married my college sweetheart. I attended Western Kentucky University, met my husband there and dated for three years. And then after college started, we got actually started a church um, outside of Bowling Green, Kentucky, Morgantown, and about six months later, got married. Um, Mm -hmm. And we were married for 20 years, about the five or six year mark, we moved to Nashville and started a church here in Nashville called Cross Point Church. And we were at Cross Point for about 14 years, and my husband chose to walk away from it all. He chose to walk away from the church and that ministry and our marriage and the family unit that we had created. Mm-hmm. And pretty quickly over, well, honestly, overnight, life as I knew it fell apart. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think, you know, we can all allude to when something publicly falls apart, it's been falling apart behind the scenes for a long time. But when you also marry so young, um, I was married at 21. I'd been with him maybe 22, very early, been with him since 18, 19. We had grown up together. So Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's difficult is, you know, it's all I had known. So things had actually been falling apart privately for quite a while. And I wasn't fully aware to the extent Mm -hmm. Um, of things that have been happening behind the scenes. But I found myself in um, 2017, a divorced mom of three boys and having to start all over again. And uh, it was messy. And I will say I never saw it coming to the level that impact was made, but also realized I feel like pretty quickly that the beauty of your life falling apart is that you get to put the pieces of your life back together the way you choose Mm -hmm. and just thought like, okay, I can do this. I don't necessarily know how, and I'm really overwhelmed and there are definitely more questions than there are answers, but how do I want to put the pieces of my life back together and kind of started there and just took one day at a time. So obviously you you said that your life was turned upside down. Mm -hmm. You know, everything changed in an instant. And it was public. Yeah, it was. It was a public thing. Yeah. But it was also this way for the boys, you know, for your boys, everything changed overnight for them. So like you're navigating your own heartbreak over losing the love of, you know, love of your life, your sweetheart. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're having to help navigate, help them navigate losing 
this family unit? I mean, that's a big question to ask, but what in the world was that like and how did you do it? Yeah. You know, it is a tricky thing to manage your own grief and also the grief of your children. I have a dear friend, Cindy, you know, and and Jenny, you probably know too, Julie Richard. And Julie says it really beautifully. Um, We're not teaching our kids to avoid loss. We're teaching them to manage loss. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, And I didn't have that language to it when I was in the midst of it. But I, I think there was this reality of in order for my kids to be able to walk through this trauma and come out the other side in a healthy version of themselves, I have to be willing to make sure I'm taking care of myself in the midst of it. Um, I did a lot of intense therapy, uh, weekly therapy. I did a therapy intensive um, at a place called Onsite, which is an hour outside of Nashville that was super beneficial. But I really made sure that I was digging in to deal with my hurt. Mm. Um, I think there was part of me that just felt like, man, so much had been lost that I was in the the process of redeeming mm. that my marriage was not restored, but man, God was willing and able to restore me and redeem my part of that story. So I just spent a lot of time really digging into myself and allowing my kids to see that grieving is super important. So Mm -hmm. is therapy. So is becoming self-aware. If we don't repair it, we repeat it. And Mm, I knew that I did not want to continue to repeat the unhealthy habits and the unhealthy patterns that I had been living with in that marriage. So yeah, managing the grief of my kids and myself was a lot. I do remember having this moment. um, And Cindy, you've probably heard me tell this story before, but I was having a quiet time. This was, man, I was newly divorced. I was even living in the other house at that time. And I was having my quiet time in the morning. I was reading in Joshua 3, where the Israelites have come to the edge of the Jordan and the Jordan is at flood stage and it's overflowing and it is deep and wide as you know, we sing about in vacation Bible school. <laughs> and um, I'm really looking at that scripture and I'm thinking about my life because I was so overwhelmed with life. I was so overwhelmed with taking my kids through this situation that was traumatic. I'm overwhelmed with how do I teach my kids that, you know, this is not God thing, that God is still capable of loving them? How do I teach my kids to love the church when that disappeared overnight? Mm. How do I, you know, make sure that they don't end up going to some kind of unhealthy coping in order to deal with the pain? Mm. How do I make sure they don't mimic an unhealthy marriage? And I was just overwhelmed with all of it. And I read the scripture and, and I remember reading it thinking like, you know, the Israelites, as soon as the first foot stepped into the Jordan, the water piled up in a heap. Um, and that heap was like a protective barrier. And when I looked at that scripture, I felt like my life represented every single thing that was happening. So I had to be brave enough to take the first step. I had to hold back the water so that my kids were protected. I had to create that barrier for them. I had to carry the Ark of the Covenant um, <laughs> to the middle of the Jordan. Then I had to lead the Israelites to the other side, like this was representing not just what was going on scripturally, but what was going on in my life. I had to lead them to my kids, to the promises that God had for their life. And I I just felt this moment where I legitimately felt God lean in and touch my heart and say, Brandy, that is not your job. Mm -hmm. You are trying to do my job, your job mm-hmm. in your kid's life is to stand on solid ground and hold me for them. Mm. Your job is to stand on solid ground and allow them to see how you love me. Your job is to stand on solid ground and hold my kingdom for them to see. I'm going to be the one That's right. who make sure that they take the first step into the Jordan. I'm going to be the one to hold back the water. I'm going to be the one to protect them. I'm going to be the one to carry the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to be the one to lead your children to the promises I have for their life. Mm -hmm. You get to stand on the solid ground that is me and shine who I am to your kids. Mm -hmm. And I knew in that moment 
I might be a single parent, but I'm not parenting alone. Mm, And that was a game changer because I think so often as Christians, we believe that God can use our pain for purpose. And we believe, you know, I've said forever, God can take my suffering and use it as a survival guide for others. But when it comes to our kids, well, that is a lot harder to release. Sure is. And it is that truth that if I believe that God is going to use my pain for purpose, then I have to believe he's going to do the same thing in my kids' lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard because watching your kids hurt and struggle and suffer. Is a pain? It, it is the worst pain. It is the worst pain. It is the worst pain. You can't step in and take it away. So I think the piece that like if God, if I believe God's going to do that in my life, I have to believe he's going to do it for my kids really has guided how I parent through this situation and moving forward. It really allowed me to release in a way that I didn't know I would be capable of doing Mm -hmm. at the time. Wow. You bring up this really beautiful tension of something that I think we've all wrestled with of like, okay, God's sovereignty and overall protection and we can trust him, but also our responsibility to take whatever next steps that he leads. And so obviously he was leading you. He was guiding you. There were times when you just need to stand still on solid ground, let him fight. But then I'm sure there were also other times when you had to take those steps, you know, whether it was physically or emotionally or financially, I'm sure it was a whole nother aspect mm-hmm. of this whole thing yeah. um, to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. So I guess, how did that kind of work? Yeah, I got to the point where I just, it was one day at a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, you know, I always say there are way more questions than there were answers. And when I spent time Digging into those questions, I got overwhelmed easily and I got exhausted easily and trying to figure out like, where will we live in six months and what will life look like when I have to pay for three tuitions for college Mm -hmm. and, and just jumping ahead really overwhelmed me. So I got super basic and I went back to, okay, this is one day at a time. And what do I need to do today? What conversation do I need to have? What phone call do I need to make? What are my priorities today? And it doesn't mean that I didn't dream about my future and think about my future because that's part of the process of healing. But when I was so overwhelmed, it was hard to function. Mm -hmm. I broke it down to 24 hour periods and it was one day at a time. And I celebrated at the end of the day, surviving it. That's good. I did Um, it. (laughs) I did it. I did it. One day down. Come on. Yeah. 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 Because when you were having a hard day and then your boys were having a hard day, I'm sure at times, I don't know if you had to put what you were feeling on the back burner or if you just kind of let it all out and grieved and processed together. I don't know what that looked like. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of both. I think there are times we grieve and process together. And then there, I think there are things that I needed to handle on my own. Mm. Um, and I kind of let them, it's, it's that balance of holding space for them to show up with, who they are and what they're bringing at the moment. And sometimes that's anger and frustration. And when you are the parent who stays, you catch flack for a lot of that because you're safe. They know you're going to stay. So there's definitely a balance in that. I made my nest initially super tight. Uh, I call us us four. We were us four no more. Um, And the no more piece is more of like, this is a special birthday dinner. It's going to be us for no more, or this mm-hmm. is a family vacation. It's us for no more. Because I also value having friends in our home mm-hmm. and a revolving door of boys coming in and out and snacks that God multiplies, like, <laughs> you know, the oil, the fish and the loaf. Those boys, those boys eat. <laughs> they eat. But yeah, that tension of letting them show up is just really important. That's good. Yeah. So, Brandy, I remember at one of our leading and loving it retreats years ago, it might have been, I don't think you were divorced yet, but maybe so. And you made a comment. You said it's important to be authentic with everyone Mm -hmm. and transparent with a few. And I have used that phrase so (laughs) much. And I love that idea that I can be Cindy with everyone. I can be kind and genuine. And if someone says, hey, how's your day? I might say, you know, it's not, it's not great today, but thanks for asking. Yep. I, I'd appreciate your prayers. But 
for the few people in my life that know the nitty gritty, I'm going to be like, let me tell you why I'm ticked off right now. Mm -hmm. And there's that transparency. And so I would imagine as you were walking through this, you had those people. I know Lori Mm -hmm. obviously was one of those people that you were transparent with. Did you already have those people in place that you were really transparent with or did you find them along your journey? Yeah, I'll say a little bit of both. Um, because we led a very large church, I went from being surrounded by thousands of people to talking to three to four people on a regular basis. So life really shrunk, uh, and that felt safe. Um, and some of those people I have, like the Lori, you mentioned my best friend, Lori Wilhite, who, um, I do leading and loving it with Lisa Hughes. She's a friend of mine. It's great. Technology is wonderful because one was in Vegas and one was in Florida and I'm in Nashville and we still kept up on a regular basis. I had one friend here and had my therapist and that was really, it was shrunk down to that. I will say as I started healing, um, I also was able to open up and find friends along the way. One friendship that was super beneficial to me is my kids. um, At the time, she was kind of our main babysitter. And she was a student at Vanderbilt. She did an internship at Crosspoint. That's how I met her. We were definitely friends, but I mainly used her more for babysitting. And it was probably within the first two weeks after my ex-husband had resigned from his position, she called me on, or texted me on a Saturday. I wouldn't have answered the phone if she called. I was barely talking to anyone. But she sent a text and she was like, hey, I have queso and an acai bowl. I'm coming over. Hmm. And I was like, oh, already on her way. And, <laughs> and the kids were at home with me that day. And I remember saying back to her, like, you can't bring him up and you can't bring up the church. And she was like, deal. And she showed up that day and she was there by lunchtime. It was in September. So there was college football on all day long. And that evening at 1030 at night, the last football game of the day is wrapping up. And I look at her and she's sitting on the other end of the sectional and two of my three kids are asleep on her. And I remember thinking, okay, she can come back because she's good for my kids and my kids need her. Mm. Um, And the way she showed up for my kids repeatedly was also her showing up for me. So that's That's a friendship that was developed during that time of my life. So I think both can happen um, and both bring value Mm -hmm. um, to our lives. Yeah. So you didn't want this divorce. You didn't plan on being a single parent. You didn't plan on life looking the way that it currently does in this season, but here you are proclaiming that God is still good. And so take us through, I know this is like trying to, you know, yeah. Swallow an elephant, but take us through like, <laughs> what have you learned through this unexpected journey? What did God show you about his character, about himself? Like, how are you different now because of what you've gone through? Just kind of some big nuggets that you really want to share. Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a long list. I learned so much that I didn't even realize I needed to know. I will tell you one of the things that I probably just was able to put words to six to nine months ago. I, I do work also as a certified coach. So I've done a lot of training in that area, um, work with a lot of women who have gone through a divorce or are going through a divorce, mm-hmm. work with women who are just going through different transitions in life, empty nesting, um, I, even some girls in their young 20s who are moving from college to adulthood and trying to figure that out. But I think one of the things that was super beneficial for me to be able to put language to is as moms, one of the things we hear about a lot these days are attachment, Um, attachment science. Do you have a secure attachment? Do you have an anxious attachment? Do you have an avoidant attachment? And, And that comes in a lot when it comes to parenting. And I think what I realized is that in the course of my divorce, I was actually able to develop a secure attachment with God. Um, Mm. And it's not that I didn't trust God before. I just had to lean on him in a way I never had. Yeah. So it became this, this gift that, you know, when you're not talking to a lot of people and I was not talking to a lot of people, I spent a lot of time talking to God. And when I say I spent a lot of time talking to God at times, it was anger. It was frustration. It was, this is not fair. This doesn't make sense. It was comfort me take away the pain, redeem my marriage. Like it was all, it was the gamut of emotions. Mm -hmm. And because he stayed consistent through the anger, the frustration, the questioning, and the please draw close, take away this pain, hear my prayer. 
it allowed me to grow this security with him that I don't think I'd develop or developed before as a believer. And I was, you know, 40, 40, between 41, 42 at the time that that happened Mm -hmm. and wouldn't have thought I needed it until everything was taken away. And honestly, that was the safest place I had to lean into that helped create that attachment. So good. good. And I love how you said that you spent a lot of time talking to God and by talking to God, you mean all of these things. I love that. I think that's huge because I think so many people don't want to go to God with those things. You know, I only want to go to God when I'm more put together. And it's like, actually, he wants us to come with all of it. And he already knows. Right. Yeah. He already knows I'm angry about this. He already knows I'm like, why this is not fair. Mm -hmm. He knows all of that stuff. So to be able to like take that to him on a regular basis and probably previously I would have felt shame from being so angry at God and asking the hard questions and doubting God. Um, I would have, you know, thought that that said something about my faith and in a way it does, but it's also what allows me to strengthen my faith when God leans in and the way I was asking him. Now, I want to be careful what I say there because there are lots of things I asked for that he answered, but not in the way I asked. Yeah. Um, But at this point can see how God answered certain prayers and showed up in certain ways. And I would say during the course of my divorce, man, God reminded me he loved me in big ways and he loved me in small ways. And sometimes those small ways, they just blew my mind because I didn't expect his love to be quite so detailed mm-hmm. in my life. And it really mm-hmm. was in a special way. Do you have any examples? I do. I my have house. examples. I yes. remember because I was, we were texting about that and you were like, Cindy, I think you were going to see it or you were about to put an offer on and you were like, please pray. And I was like, I'm praying, you know, yep. and yep. it was just tell them that story. I would love to hear about that. Yeah. The story of my house is really special. I love the story of my house and the, you know, writing of the book was able to bring that story back to just the forefront of my mind. And, um, I live in Franklin, which is outside of Nashville. It's a, you know, I would say a highly affluent area and living here on a single income is not easy. And I remember thinking like, I'm never going to be able to afford a house in Franklin. I'm just not, but the one thing I was determined, I was happy to sell the house that we had lived in for 10 or 12 years. Um, I actually wanted a fresh start, but I was going to keep my kids in the school system. They had had enough change mm. and I was already, I was going to change our house that I wanted them to stay in the school system. So in order for me to stay in the school system, I knew where I was going to have to live. And I just didn't know how it was going to happen. And I ended up the day after my mediation, mediation is kind of where you, that one hopefully final meeting where you divide everything and you figure out parenting plan, finances, what things look like moving forward. And then you sign in Tennessee, you sign the mediation that goes to a judge to be finalized. So it was the day after our mediation and, and mediation was like 10 or 12 hours. You're exhausted. I woke up the next morning and I had some, you know, ugly messages that had come through. And I I remember just having the energy to get my kids off to school and I hopped in the shower. I don't know why I pray a lot in the shower. Is that Mm -hmm. weird? No, a lot of people do. Okay. So I'm in the shower, I'm crying, I'm praying. And I remember it was so strange. I had talked to my kids a lot about buying a house. I had even said, we can probably afford a four bedroom or a three bedroom with a bonus room. I don't think I can afford both. And We'd had all of these discussions and I'm in the shower and the only thing I'm praying for is 2,400 square feet. I don't know why I had never, ever said that number before. Never. But I just remember, you know, God, I need 2,400 square feet. I need 2,400 square feet. Please give me 2,400 square feet. And (laughs) pulled myself together, got out of the shower And obviously that very in-depth prayer. I mean, that's legitimately all I said. I need Mm -hmm. 2,400 square feet over and over and over. Went about my day. I was heading to my yoga class later on. And as I walked into the yoga studio, my phone beeped. um, And when I picked it up, I just saw a number, which meant it was not the contact that I had in my, um, saved on my phone. And I was like, I wonder who that is. And I clicked the message and the message said, hey, Brandy, this is Polly. Um, we don't 
know one another, but we have mutual friends. I know you're looking for a house in my neighborhood. I was just on a walk, ran into a neighbor. They're being transferred um, to another state. They're going to put their house on the market. I don't know anything about it, except it's about 2,400 square feet. (gasps) And in that moment, I was like, God, you knew. You you hear me, Hmm. whether it's this house or not, you hear my Mm -hmm. prayer. And Mm -hmm. that's, I just needed to know that. And I ended up being able, within 10 days, I had a contract on the house that the boys and I have lived in for the last six years. And it is definitely home to us. And and because I was able to see the house before it hit the market, the price stayed the same. There was not any competition. What's even interesting too down the road, Cindy, is the couple that sold me this house they were only gone for a year. They actually moved back and now live in my neighborhood in a different home. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. That's really cool. But they were gone for a year and God gave us this house. So all the details. It's really special. That's so awesome. Yeah. All the details. Yeah, the it's details. amazing. So, you know, Brandy, you and I have similar stories, obviously, yes. with our marriages uh, crumbling. Mine was obviously restored and we're still together. And so a lot of people will look at my face and they see the countenance on my face and they say joy and they say hope. And I wish they could see your face right now. I wish they could see the joy that's on your face because you, your marriage wasn't restored, but you were. Yep. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And I even talk about that in my book, like that's what God wants for you. Even if your marriage doesn't survive, he wants to restore you. Yes. And so I'm curious for you, and I definitely want to talk about your book in a minute, but like, was there, you know, it's kind of like when you're in that valley, that deep, dark valley, as you're, cl- you're climbing up a mountain, basically, right, and it's right. really steep. Was there a time or was there a, something that happened where you felt the shift and you were no longer just constantly walking uphill and you were like, okay, I, I think I might be okay. What was that like? Yeah, I think one of the big finish lines was just my divorce being final. Sure. Um, because then it felt like I could start making some decisions. Okay. Um, you know, for me, in the midst of that year of separation to the divorce being final, I was so concerned about like custody and making sure I had my kids that I kind of felt like I was continuing to walk on eggshells a little bit. But once that divorce was final, it's just like it opened. uh, It was almost like, you know, I would probably originally say it's kind of like crossing the finish line and a start line at the same time. Right. Like there's this piece that's behind me and I can say, okay, the details of getting to the divorce, that's taken care of. Now I'm starting anew. So I think, you know, crossing that finish line of divorce, then starting a new life as a single mom I felt a lot of freedom uh, and freedom was not something I realized I needed. We live in America. It's land of the free. Um, but there was a lot of freedom in being able to move forward and know that I was in charge of putting my life back together the way I wanted. So I think that was definitely a point where it didn't feel quite as uphill as it had the past, you know, 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Um, and then I think actually moving into the house was huge. Because it was an, there are so many questions without answers that that answered a really big question of where would we live. Um, And we were able to start all over again in this really great community that, you know, super family oriented and everyone walks and is out and about and there are kids everywhere. And it's a place I knew that I felt safe living Mm. um, and starting over. So that also felt like a point of like, oh, okay, I am creating this cozy space. I remember actually, uh, because we remodeled a lot of the house, the house is as old as I am. So we both have lots of wrinkles and I fixed a lot of the house. You look amazing, Brandy. You look amazing. Well, I remember my contractor saying like, hey, listen, this is going to be hard because we're not going to be finished by the time you need to move in. You're going to be living in a construction zone. This is going to be hard. And I remember saying to him like, oh, no, this is not hard at all. Mm. What I've been doing the last 18 months is hard. This mm. is like hopeful. This is about being able to move forward and start all it's over. the future. Yeah. Yeah. It was future. So yeah, that was another big um, kind of point for me where I felt like, okay, we're going to make it. 
Mm-hmm. So as we all know, we live in a good but fallen world and sometimes we have to navigate the brokenness. We just have to. So I guess two questions. One, has this given you more empathy for others, whether they've gone through the same thing or something different, but it just kind of opened your eyes to other things that people are walking through that are hard. Also, I assume you're still having to navigate some of the difficult yes, uh, just with every new season. Yes. And so I guess those two things just come to mind. I'm curious about, is it still hard to navigate and has it given you more empathy for people? Yes. Yep. Empathy for sure. I think, you know, I think there's just living life helps remind us that everyone has something going on behind the scenes. For sure. Um, I think there probably is part of the shock of my divorce was that, you know, we were the couple that no one expected it to happen with. For sure. So I think it's one of the difficulties of, you know, being in a position that people are watching. And I would say we appeared happy in a lot of ways. And I Mm -hmm. probably thought I was Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And there were times of happiness. Um, But, you know, I know that there had been trust broken in my marriage many, many times within the first two years, all the way to where it ended. So I think knowing that has definitely given me empathy for people who are just trying to start again. I think for women who are going through divorce, Mm -hmm. women who are even putting their marriages back together of just knowing how scary the unknown can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I don't think either path is easier. I don't look at Cindy's story and think like, man, it was easier on she and Chris than it was on me. I think both of these situations and scenarios you know, there are unknowns and you can't guarantee anything. And I work with women all the time who are, you know, do I leave? Do I stay? And and I'll say, well, you probably need to get counseling for this or you need to do regular coaching. And they're like, well, I can't afford it. I'm like, oh, divorce is way more expensive than therapy. Mm -hmm. So like, trust me, you need to try to figure this out if you can. Yeah. Um, So I, I think I definitely have a different set of empathy. I think as far as the co-parenting question, co-parenting is still difficult. Um, it does get easier as the kids get older. And then mm-hmm. there are also new challenges as the kids get older. Yeah. But it is really nice. There was definitely more um, separation when my kids started being able to drive themselves. Mm-hmm. And they can start doing some of the coordinating. At that point, they all knew their schedules. They knew where they were supposed to be when. But yeah, co-parenting is still a struggle. You know, I work really hard in my responses to make sure that I am, and even, you know, sending emails, whatever, I'm very clear on, I am writing to my children's father, um, not my ex-husband. I try Mm -hmm. to separate those two in order to just have a stance that is more neutral um, and not bring my personal hurt into that communication. So that's probably co-parenting wise was big for me is to be like, okay, I am talking to my children's father. And that is the stance. That is the role that I'm responding out of. I said this before the recording, but I feel like you've just been classy the whole way. And so lots of respect for that. Until kickoff. Until kickoff. Until kickoff. kickoff. I'm not classy after kickoff. (laughs) All bets are off. Brandy is in the stands. I'm not sure what Brandy you're going to get. Yeah. And listen, Lori came to one of the games with me. My best friend oh. Lori mentioned she and Lisa and Julie all showed up at a game and Lori was like, I had envisioned this for a long time and it exceeds <laughs> what I had expected. I was like, yes, I just want to come and sit on the sidelines with a thing of popcorn and watch you like I and like watch to, you. Yeah. <laughs> Watch you, not do not it. You are welcome anytime. That's awesome. Okay, so Brandy, uh, your book. Um, I know we're getting to the end of our time together, but better than okay. Finding hope and healing after your marriage ends just released a little while ago, and man, I'm so glad you wrote this. Um, so glad you wrote it. Did you think you would write a book about this from the beginning, or well, how did it all come about? I- didn't. I really didn't. I had people telling me I should write a book. I think part of that was like, I just didn't want to be the divorce pastor's wife. And why draw more attention to that? And I kind of bucked that. And I ended up talking to a lot of women um, through word of mouth. I've talked to a few men too, but definitely have talked to so many women. A lot of them were in ministry, married to pastors. A lot of them attend churches. A lot of them just follow me on social media. But in the midst of talking to them, the two questions they usually ask 
are, am I going to be okay? And will my kids be okay? And I got to the point where I was like, actually, you're going to be better than okay. Oh, let me just tell you, you will be better than okay, which I truly believe. So I think at that point it was, I needed time, Cindy. I, you know, I feel deeply, therefore I hurt deeply, but I can also heal deeply and I Mm. needed time. So I wanted to be sure I was writing out of my scars and not my wounds. I did not want to go out and spew a bunch of hurt and negativity and bitterness. Um, I wanted to, I think a lot of people are like, she's finally going to say what happened. And I'm like, no, this book is not about why my marriage ended. This is about what God chose to do in me when I chose to start again. That's good. Um, That's good. So when I knew I could write a book about my story, and actually I think it's also the story of my kids. It's about our family. How do we redefine family without feeling like anything's missing? Um, What did they think? About the book? What did the boys think about you choosing to write the book? I mean, I'm assuming you're having conversations. Oh, my my 22-year-old has read it. My other two are in the process of reading it. My 22-year-old, this is funny. He finished it back in May and he called me. I was at one of his brother's seven on seven games and I'm in the stands and he's like, so that dating chapter is full of really good information. (laughs) I'm like, is my 22 year old actually telling me I gave good advice about dating (laughs) when our demographic is vastly different? You've arrived. Yes, he is. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. um, Yeah, they've been super supportive. I think. You know, I just very early on felt like so much had been lost and so much had been taken away. You know, my ex-husband had taken enough. I wasn't going to let him take anything else. And I wanted my kids to see someone who could take care of herself, who continued to lean on God, who didn't, you know, take out what had happened to us on God in the church and walk away from that. But somebody who was strong and wanted to take care of herself and take care of them. Um, and not in a, like, you know, I don't need anyone in a man, we can do hard things. And this is what life looks like. There's a lot of ordinary and days that are just like doing your thing. And then man, there are seasons that knock the wind out of you Mm -hmm. and how you respond when those seasons happen, man, that teaches your kids a lot about their own resiliency. So I want to, my kids to actually see me handle that in a way that when they looked back on it as adults, they were proud of the way that I had, you know, guided us through mm-hmm. it. I didn't get everything right. I didn't always have the right answer to everything, but I had worked really hard to be healthy in the midst of it and take care of myself and take care of them. That's so good. I think they certainly see that. I'm sure that they do. I know we all do. <laughs> um, Thank you. Man, we could just keep talking forever. But okay, so you have this book, which I have to just mention the similarities. It's so funny because Cindy has written a book called, well, the first one is Healing Your Marriage When Trust is Broken. Healing Your Marriage Trust. And then the second one is Better Than New. Rebuilding a Marriage Better Than New. Yeah. And then (laughs) you have Better Than Okay. okay. So we got Better Than New, Better Than Okay. Lots of betters. I love it. (laughs) I love it too. Yeah. Um, so what other resources have you just loved and you want to share with other people? Yeah. You know, there's a book by Henry Nowen that was huge for me in the process of grief. Hold on. I'm grabbing it. Uh, I always get the title wrong, but it's here. This is where I have my quiet time in the morning and I'm rewalking through it, but it's called the inner voice of love, a journey through anguish to freedom. And I love this book. It's not long, like Mm -hmm. insane. I read a Henry Nowen book. I'm not a theologian, (laughs) Um, but this is kind of his story, some journal entries that he wrote when he was walking through his own grief. So this was huge for me. I recommend it to anyone who is, you know, grieving um, and trying to figure out what that means in their relationship with God. It taught me a lot about being secure in myself mm-hmm. um, and the importance of making sure I loved myself first before I tried to love and take care of others. Um, another book I loved was uh, is titled, Why Does He Do That? Um, it's written by Lundy Bancroft. The subtitle is Inside the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men. And he um, is a therapist who worked in domestic abuse situations and has given a lot of guidance and feedback on controlling men, men who are angry, 
physically, I always felt safe in my home, but, you know, emotionally I didn't and verbally I didn't. And that book was really a game changer in helping me clearly see the situation that I had dealt with. And then um, I love The Body Keeps Score. Mm -hmm. I can't think of the author's name, but it's really great talking about what trauma does to you and how your body remembers that. His research is based on war veterans um, is where it started and then continued from there. But that was a great one as well. Of course, I would be, you know, remiss not to mention Lisa Turkhurst and Forgiving What You Can't Forget. That one I loved. I led a group of single moms, divorced wives, single moms through that. And we went through it together. And that was just really healing to be able to do with the group. Hmm. So, yeah, all of those were great and super significant for me and my healing. And then how can people find your book and your resources? Yes, my book, Better Than Okay, is actually on Amazon. And Come it's on. at Barnes & Noble. You can probably and get it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can have it definitely if you're prime. You can yeah. have it tomorrow via Amazon. Um, my website is lovebrandywilson.com and that's Brandy with an I and you can find out more about my coaching there, some courses I teach, that kind of stuff. Um, and then Instagram, I am lovebrandywilson as well. And Facebook, I'm Brandy Perfect. Wilson there. So we will link yeah. all of that up. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. So Brandy, I think you and I, we could just talk for hours and hours. have in the past, but I would love it if you could just finish off our time together with just one more thing, one more thing that you haven't said, or maybe something you have said that you feel is really important that you want our listeners to hear, no matter if they're in healthy marriages or struggling marriages, or they're single mamas like you, um, or single women or don't have children, just any encouragement that you want to speak to the women listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think to remember that they're not alone. I think that's one of the things that is so part about divorce. And I have a whole chapter in the book about loneliness. And I think part of the struggle with being a single parent and walking through this is it's just not what you envisioned Mm -hmm. um, for your family unit. You know, nobody walks down the aisle envisioning, you know, splitting their kitchen appliances and their Christmas decorations. Um, No one holds their baby in the hospital and looks at that sweet little child and says, I can't wait to spend even numbered Christmases with you. Mm -hmm. Um, So you are not alone. You are loved and you are seen. I think the encouragement to find a church community where you can get plugged in. I think it is really hard. I was just talking um, to a single woman on the phone today, encouraging her to try to get back in and find a church that was a good fit. And she just said, I hate going alone. And I'm like, man, I do too. And still I show up because I think it's that valuable, but yeah, you are not alone. You are seeing find community who can support you. Tell people when you're struggling, reach out to me. I am, I am, I try to comment to everyone who reaches out to me. So definitely do that. But you are not alone. I know you're feeling lonely. I know your heart is broken, but you are seen and you are loved. That's so good. I know we only scratched the surface on all of this. So everybody go get her book, whether you've gone through this or not. There's so much to teach us all. We're so grateful for your time and for you sharing a piece of your story. And so thanks, Brandy. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. All right, y'all. Well, everything, all the resources, books, websites, they are all linked up in the conversation notes. Also, before you move on with your day, be sure to connect with us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast and make sure you are subscribed for free to The Messy Table, however you like to stream, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or Stitcher. We'll meet you back here on the first Tuesday of every month. And as you head back into your week, don't forget that yes, life is messy but God is at work in your mess.